0: Can I finish this poem for you guys? I cut it a little short. But I wanted to read this to you just because it's so powerful. It has nothing to do with my sermon, but it's um yeah, it's it has everything to do with today and what God is doing in this house. That they might one day win The great well done of faithful sons and daughters. Such heroes are as radical on Monday morning as Sunday night. They don't need fame from names. Instead, they grin quietly upwards and hear the crowds chanting again and again, come on. And this is the sound of the underground, the whisper of history in the making, foundations shaking, revolutionaries dreaming once again. Mystery is scheming its whispers, conspiracy is breathing the sound of the underground. The army is disciplined. Young people who beat their bodies into submission. Every soldier would take a bullet for his comrade-at-arms. The tattoos on their back say, for me to live and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Sacrifice fuels the fire of victory in their upward eyes. Winners, martyrs, who can stop them? Can hormones hold them back? Can failure succeed? Can fear scare them from death, death kill them? And the generation prays like a dying man, with groans beyond talking, with warrior cries, sulfuric tears, with the great borrow loads of laughter, wait, watching, 24-7, 365, whatever it takes they will give, breaking the rules, shaking mediocrity to its cozy little hide, laying down their rights and their precious little wrongs, laughing at labels, fasting essentials. The advertisers couldn't mold them. Hollywood couldn't hold them. Peer pressure is powerless to take their resolve at last night's party before the cockerel cries. They are incredibly cool, dangerously attractive inside, and on the outside, they hardly care. They wear clothes like costumes to communicate and celebrate, but never to hide. Would they surrender their image or their popularity? They lay down their little, their very lives, swap eats with the man on the death row, guilty as hell, a a throne of electric chair with the blood and sweat and many tears with sleepless nights and fruitless days and pray as it depends on God and live as it depends on them. Their DNA chooses Jesus, breath in and breath out. Their subconscious sings. They had a blood transfusion with Jesus. Their words make demons scream in shopping centers. Do you hear them coming? herald the weirdos, summon the losers and the freaks. Here come the frightened and the forgotten with fire in their eyes. They walk tall and trees applaud, skyscrapers bow, mountains are dwarfed by the children of another dimension. Their prayers summited, summon the hounds of heaven and invoke the ancient dreams of Eden and their vision will be It will come to pass, and it will come easily, and it will come soon. How do I know? Because this is the longing of creation itself, the groaning of the Spirit, the very dream of God. My tomorrow is today. My distant hope is His 3D, and my feeble, whispered, faithless prayer invokes a thunderstorm, resounding, bone-shaking, great amen from countless angels, from heroes of the faith, from Christ himself. And he is the original dreamer, the ultimate winner. Guaranteed. So that was a book that I bought for a friend. Hey, Kevin, can you give this? Give that to Michael. Ooh, sorry. Sorry, just a little order of business there. Yeah, Mike. Mike. Michael. Anyway, that's a really good book that I read probably 12 years ago. It's written a while ago, um called Red Moon Rising. Great read, very inspiring. So today um is kind of a um an extension of last week. We talked about uh the body of Christ and our our place in Christ and our uh, our place in the body, spiritual giftings, um Us as a church and what we look like when we zoom out and see the macro picture. You know, we talked about how sometimes uh, the stereotype of church is just Sunday morning. Uh, You know, you preach, you tithe a little, and you have worship, you pray a little, and you go home, and that's sort of what the corporate church looks like. But we saw that it looked much deeper, much wider. The scope was so great today we're gonna you know as I've just kind of continued in my study of that I uh, was just meditating on first Peter chapter four. that's where we're gonna be turning today if you brought your Bibles with you if not, I think we have some under the chairs. if you don't own one, um, you can just keep the one under the chair because we have lots of them and we just Peter first Peter chapter four. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Sincere love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as good stewards serving of God's various grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I like this little passage. Even though it's sort of in the middle of a chapter, uh, you can always, uh, you know, you always see these, these th- thoughts, and you can kind of, like, compartmentalize, and he's, he's that, that, that uh, paragraph that I read you is, like, Peter's complete thought. All of these things are interconnected. He says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore... Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, in my mind, when I read scriptures, I always, I always see it meaning like, wake up, I'm about to say something important. And it has to do with what I, what I just said. It's that connecting piece, but it's like, hey, pay attention. This is important to take that next step. So the end of all things is at hand. Now, this was written 2,000 years ago, So his scope of like at hand, God's scope of at hand is much different than what I would have thought if like I had received this letter from Peter directly. But there's this, there's this idea of Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24. They asked him that there, he was talking about end times. And he says, hey, here's the reality. No one knows when, when it will be. No one knows when Christ is going to return. Angels don't know. In fact, the Son of God himself doesn't know, but only the Father knows. It's interesting how we we see the Trinity, and even with the Trinity, there's so much together, but there's so much individual characters. There's actually things that the Father knows that the Son of God sitting next to the throne that is part of God, that is part of that Trinity, actually doesn't know. You know, so we don't need to be fooled when someone says, Hey, you know, this time and this date, the end is gonna happen on this date. We've 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 all seen this before, right? When was the last one? Harold camping camping. Good old Harold Loved the brother. You know, his heart was all sincere and goodwill, but he believed that he found decoded in scripture. You know when that the return of Christ was going to happen? It'd be interesting that he found something that Jesus didn't know was there, considering he was the Word of God. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> Don't worry, Harold. We all get it wrong. It's not the end of the world. Chad, where are you? Do you guys remember that? Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about, and that's okay. <clears throat> Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I'm going to talk about three things. There's three little sections in this thing where he says that all things are coming to an end, therefore I, I hear three things. I hear pray, love, serve. This is what this is what Peter is saying. look, the end is getting near. The, this is your focus I'm going to give you, you know, straight out the gate. The, this is what I want you to, to pay attention to. And this is interesting. I think it's interesting how he said to pray. He said, be sober-minded and be self-controlled. Now, it's it's interesting how he links that to prayer. And I think it's really important that we, we dissect what is prayer and understand how we ourselves become sober-minded and uh, self controlled, and how does that relate to prayer? Let me ask you something. Have any of you guys said, okay, I'm gonna sit down for an hour and I'm just gonna pray for an hour? Okay, and you sit down. And then all of a sudden, you thought of all the things you should have done um, yesterday that you didn't get done or the phone call that you didn't return or uh, how you, you know, better wash the dishes because your mom or your wife is going to kill you or, you know, or, or oh, my goodness, I, I dinner tonight, I didn't buy the, you know, the lettuce or whatever, you know. And so, like, all these things become bombarding you in prayer, or that awkward conversation that you had with someone yesterday that still hasn't sat right from, with you and it's floating the top. And all these things are bombarding you, and you're like, Satan, get away from me. I'm trying to pray. Maybe I'm the only one. Um, this is what Paul is talking about being sober minded and self controlled. But here's the thing. We, can't, we, we have to understand what prayer is and how it works, because or else we are going to walk in absolute shame and guilt all the time, because these things are, are actually a natural progression. These things are not a demonic force that's trying to attack you while you're praying, although we would like to believe that and just cast that out, but actually really This is just a natural element of how the mind works. You sit down from your busy life of always being occupied and entertained and doing something and sit down just for once to focus and meditate, and all of a sudden, all this stuff rises to the top. Here's what it's like. Um, Those of you who have smartphones in the room, raise your hand. Does anyone have a a task manager where you can look and see what applications are open in the background on your phone? Or how about a computer? Uh, You know, has anyone ever pressed Control-Alt-Delete and you can see, like, the list of applications that are running? When you sit down and pray, it's actually the Holy Spirit that's doing that to you. He opens your task manager and he says, actually, uh, you've sat down to pray, but on your mind, You didn't know it, but all these things are are occupying. I want all of you. I want your attention. So we need to to take care of uh, uh, some things first before we get on to business because the business is going to take all your processing power. So what does it mean to be self-controlled and sober-minded? What it means is to control yourself in the aspect of you sit down to pray. Okay, Control-Alt-Delete. Let's get, these, get, get this out of the way. And you, need, you might need to spend 15 minutes just decompressing from all your stuff. So here, here's, the, here's the, the tools that you need to be sober-minded and self-controlled while you're praying. The practical tools is you're going to need a pen and a piece of paper. Actually, a pencil might, might work a little bit better. And on that piece of paper, you're going to write three things. You're going to write to do, one column. You're going to write to pray, unresolved business, to pray. And then you're going to write trash can on the third column. So as you sit down and pray, being sober minded and being self-controlled is as the holy spirit is rising these things to the top saying there's unresolved business it's your job as being self-controlled to say okay what category do i put these things on and i got to do this and we're going to do this and take care of this because we got other business to do so the to-do list okay these are things that we need to get done throughout the day and we get this off of our mind out of our processing out of our processors and onto a piece of paper okay we get The middle column of unresolved things is that conversation that you had yesterday that was kind of funky, and maybe you need to go back and and check with that person. Or, Or maybe it's been an area of your heart that the Lord has been kind of working on that you're saying, you know what? Holy Spirit is bringing this to the top because it's incomplete. It's not done yet. You just put that in that column. And then there's the trash can. And this is something that I think we sort of underutilize. Imagine the computer screen, and you see that little recycling bin in the corner, and, you know, I think sometimes we don't click and drag there enough, um, spiritually speaking, uh, and just kind of flush that down into the spiritual dumpster of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And it's not only stuff that that we need to put in the spiritual dumpster that says, man, I, I... you know, God, I've already asked you for forgiveness for this, but I, you know, I need to ask again. You know what? It's a one-time shot. Like, like he understands. Like he's like, I don't even remember it because actually, what you're doing is you're reading off of Satan's list and not off of God's uh, book of remembrance. Because He said, I, I separated that from the east from the west. I, I don't recall. So you must be reading Satan's mail as a list of accusations against yourself. <clears throat> Remember what the scripture says is he's the accuser of the brethren or the (laughs) sister-in. You all are the brethren regardless of gender. And Satan is the prosecutor. And he will continually run a list like the ticker tape or like the stock market thing that's perpetually going. And you can sit and watch that list if you want. I wouldn't say it's a very good place and it's not a good place to to hold your attention to while you're in prayer. There are some things that, that, hey, God, this to-be-resolved list, I do need a place that, that hasn't been fully resolved yet. There's sometimes a place of offense where there's an issue with a brother or a sister and you're saying, God, I am, I am so distracted in prayer because all I can think of is this person, and you're interceding for them. You're like, God, I just pray you would convict them in the name of Jesus. Well, you know what? God's saying, man, I just wish you'd just let that go and let the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit's job, you know, and, and just kind of like, hey, I've got this one, okay? You, you know, you, you know, there's times where we need to pray for those that, that are our brothers or sisters that have, have hurt us, but if you're praying from a place of offense, You're praying from a a wrong position in the wrong posture. Before you begin praying for brothers and sisters that have, have hurt you or offended you, you first need to declare to yourself, need to declare to the heavens above, need to declare to Satan that you have forgiven every offense. That it is gone from you and now you are taking... Jesus' advice in praying for your enemies, but you make sure they fit in that category. Make sure they're not just people that God's called you to walk with, that you're friends and you're classifying them as enemies and now you're going to pray for them. Okay, it got a little awkward in here, but that's okay. So we understand this concept of the to do list. That's easy. That speaks for itself. The to be to be the the not completed list. And that's more a heart thing. That's more of what God is doing in you. And then, and then the spiritual garbage list and where you just see and say, okay, God, this is no longer my responsibility. I'm handing it to you. This person has hurt me. This person is doing stuff that I don't approve of, but you know what? I'm putting it there or whatever. Or I've got issues, God, you know, that I've done this and I Lord have asked forgiveness and you know okay I'm gonna put this this is no longer going to be clouding my processing power that's the place where you get when you get that that list in that place and then you rip that one half of that list off throw that in your garbage can and you got the two columns left amen, amen. so this is important Peter is is giving us practicals and saying like look, the end is near, you need to pray. And you need to pray out of these two places because you don't need your prayers to be amiss and you don't need them to be clouded. You need them to be pure and focused. <clears throat> Amen. The next, the next part that we look at is this love aspect. And if I could spend the entire time preaching on one of these issues, I feel like, you know, I was talking to our team this morning as we prayed and um, I feel like the Holy Spirit, even this morning and, and, and yesterday, is like putting his thumb on this issue of love. I, when, I, when I hear the word love, I th- this is what I think. Very little. Primarily because I feel like it's such an overused word. I feel like it, it's used in everything. You love pizza the way that, you know, the pop star singer loves his girlfriend and the, you know, the same way that we love God. And it just doesn't seem to like all be compatible. You know, it doesn't seem to blend well. So the, this word love seems to be overused. I mean, I mean, the Beatles sang about this, all we need is love, love, love. What do you talking, what, what does that mean? All you need is love? I don't, I don't even get it. It doesn't even make sense. The scripture is full of this word. Okay? It's, it's just, it's intense. It's like you can't get around this concept. So we, I don't know if anyone's in the same boat as me, Is like this, this word love has almost lost its effect. It's lost its power. We, we have to, because of the, the weight it carries, we have to understand the meaning of this. We have to understand the implications of this word. We have to revive its power and its potency. And I almost wonder, I almost wonder if the dumbing down and simplification of this world isn't demonic a little bit. Isn't been a way for one of the most powerful uh, aspects of our Christian faith to sort of be watered down and sort of overused and sort of saying, well, you know, love, whatever, you know. But here's what Peter says. And the word choice he uses is brilliant. He says, above all. So if Peter were to make a list with what he just said there, what would be at the top of his list? Love. If Peter set some priorities in life, what would he say be the top of his list? Love. He says, above all. We need to listen. This is important. He doesn't expound and pontificate like I'm doing now on this concept of love. He, he assumes that you already understand what this means. But the reality is, is we don't. So we're going to explore it. And of course, to explore this concept of love, where else would we turn? 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you guys are familiar with it. This is one of those verses that's probably pretty important for you to turn there. This is a great verse. It's like, you know, one of these famous verses, like almost every wedding that's ever done uses this verse in the wedding. But it's important to read. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not loved, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not loved, I am nothing. If I give all that I have and I'm delivered my body to be burned, but have not loved, I've gained nothing. You are a martyr who has been wasted. But this is where I want to go today. This is how we define the power and the potential of love. The complexity of this word and the potency of this idea. Verse 4, are you guys with me? Now, I like using um, ESV as my translation. It's sort of like, how many many gun people are in this room, gun owners? You know, you got your go-to, you know, your go-to gun, you, you know, but you have lots of them. You love them all. Lately, ESV has been, has been my, my like weapon of choice, I guess. It's interesting, a little, little uh, sidetrack here on, on versions. For, for people who are maybe newer or whatnot, I haven't studied this, um, you know, there, there's different, different realms of Bible translations. You have um, over here, thought for thought. Actually, over here, you have paraphrased, and you have thought for thought, and then you have word for word. Um, and each translation will kind of fall, if you develop like a scale on here, each translation will fall into kind of a different category. And like your word for word is like an exact translation. If they could translate every Greek word into what the closest possible English word or Arabic word or uh, or Aramaic or Hebrew word, they, that would be word for word. And your translations like NASB, New American Standard Bible, which is another one in my tool belt, um, is that's like kind of on this side is word for word. And then moving more towards thought for thought, the next kind of category is ESV. I'm just not smart enough to use word for word. I need at least a little help in kind of giving me thought for thought. Thought for thought is the idea that, that, um, hey, what is the intentions of the writer? So maybe that direct word transfer isn't isn't the appropriate word to, to actually carry what is the writer trying to say here. So they might choose a different word that would be more relevant to us, that give us a better understanding of what the writer is saying. It's not the exact word. Um, so, so ESV is kind of my turn too because it just helps me a little bit. And then you kind of go on the lo- down the line and you have uh, King James and New King James, um, it's is sort of in between word for word and thought for thought, and then probably the best thought for thought is is the n i v sort of really uh hits that kind of thought for thought uh without being um, um paraphrasing. paraphrasing thank you and then you have paraphrasing the obviously the extreme of paraphrasing is like if i 'm really feeling dangerous, <laughs> I might use the message, but I only use it in small doses. Anyway, verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. How many of you are reading out of NIV this morning? Can you read verse five in there for me? It keeps no record of wrong. There's so much to meditate on there. Like We could just take one little statement and probably preach an entire message on that. This is, there's a lot to fit in here, but I want to highlight something. It keeps no record of wrong. Love, in essence, is forgiveness. Love, in essence, doesn't resent, doesn't hold things against. Jesus said this remarkable statement, and I, I believe it baffles scholars. He says in, in John 20, I, I don't know if I put it in my notes, so I can't quote it exactly. Just read the whole chapter, great chapter. But he says, if you forgive, I also forgive. You, forgi- you hold against I also hold against. That's a powerful statement. Jesus also said things like this. If you forgive others, I can forgive you. If you don't forgive others, you kind of know where he's going, right? This is the essence of love. This idea of holding no record of wrong. How does this work, though? How does it work when someone has hurt you, and you forgive, and you love, and they hurt you again, and you forgive, and you love, and they hurt you again, and you forgive, and you love? We have to understand where where we forgive, we also have the ability to make wise choices. Okay. Love does not, love does not mean being a punching bag. That's not what love means. Love means that I don't hold it against you. The way that you treated me or the way that you hurt me, the, what you did, I am not holding against you. I am not seeking retaliation and I'm not holding an account for you. I'm not harboring this. Love does not say that I have to take abuse. Love does not say that I have to be mistreated. But love does say there's patience, there's kindness. Love does say that I give chances and I give second chances. But love is not saying have no boundaries. Right? So we have to balance, we have to balance our boundary making decisions. You know, we have to balance saying, you know what, I've given this person a chance and they've hurt me. And I've given them a chance and they've hurt me again. And you know what, for some of you, this this may even be your spouses. For some of you, this may be people that you have relationships with that you can't really draw these boundaries saying there's 7 billion people in the world and I don't have to see you, I can see, you know... That's where this fine balance of being patient, being kind, being not boastful. There's a humility in love. Love covers a multitude of sins is what Peter says. Do you understand how powerful that verse is? If we it, it, this is, I feel this is what the Holy Spirit has told me for our church It's like, hey, there's a lot of things that our church can be really good at, and there's a lot of things that our church will be really good at. We as a people, the the responsibility that we have corporately and collectively as a people. I feel like the Holy Spirit said this to me probably six months ago. I preached three weeks on this idea of love, and you know what? I probably need to preach another three weeks because of what the, the Holy Spirit said. If you can major in anything... Like a student going to university, you major in love. That is your that is your PowerPoint, that's your gifting. That's where everything channels through. So we understand this this concept. I'm just going to keep reading the rest of it if I can find it here. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will always pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. When the perfection comes, the practical will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child and I thought like a child. I want to I make mention of something here. This, uh, Paul is talking about what, when he was a child, he spoke like a child, he talked like a child. I reasoned like a child, but when I came a man, I put my childish ways. I, I gave up my childish ways. What is he saying here? What does that mean? I have you know I used to read that as a teenager. I'm like, I he just kind of sort of went off on a trail there, you know, he sort of brought it back home, but I have no idea where he was going there. I do I do now because here's the reality. How many of you guys are perfect at love? Look around. Other than me as an example, do you see any hands raised? There is a maturity in this process. If you, if you are not willing to walk in that maturity, you are saying, I'm fine with being a child. I'm fine with my childish ways and how I respond in love towards one another. Because love is, is not an emotion. You know, when we talk about love, we sort of get this idea that I have fallen in love like a teenage boy or a girl that, that just is like absolutely infatuated with someone else. Well, Teenagers in the room, you guys are awesome. But guess what? When you're married for 10 years and you look at your spouse and you look at them and you say, "It is no, this isn't funny, guys. I'm serious. It's not an emotion that I felt. It was a commitment that I made that I uphold from now and forever. It's a choice that I made. It wasn't a feeling that came upon me. That may be the thing that sparked it. There's nothing wrong with those feelings. It may be the thing that sparked it, teenagers in the room, but at some point, you have to make a choice. Is this thing gonna last? Am I willing to fight for it? Am I willing to forgive? Am I willing to be patient? Am I willing to be kind when it's not easy to be patient? When it doesn't feel fitting to be kind? Time to put our childish ways behind us is what Paul is saying. He's using as his self as an example. There came a point where I'd just say, it's time to grow up in this idea of love. It's time to actually take it serious. All right, guys, I'm not going to harp on this. Serving. This last aspect, and he goes, he talks a a few more verses on it, he says, And each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as a good steward of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, but whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever Amen. Complete thought. Right? From the beginning, he says therefore, you know, end of all age therefore. Amen. Complete thought. 1 through 11. Serving, he takes he takes the bulk of it and talks about how we have this capacity as members of the body. He's saying it is important. So we keep we pray, we keep our love on turned on full blast and we serve each other we become the most powerful force on the planet it sounds extreme but i'm absolutely dead serious if we can if we can master those things if we can say hey i am called not to serve myself not to be selfish but when i I'm gonna. I'm just gonna use our church as a little demonstration, okay? A little example of just very practical, unspiritual-sounding service. Let's talk about. Uh, I, I like to pick on Amber. Let's talk about Amber. Comes early a lot of times when she's not in class, and and makes coffee for us. That is an act of service. That's what she talks about when it says show hospitality. She's saying, well, that's it. I'm. I'm gonna show hospitality. I'm gonna make coffee. Do you know what she? She operates in a John the Baptist spirit when she makes coffee. Uh, that sounds like, okay, George, come on, now you're stretching things. I'm absolutely not, because here's the thing. Jesus, Jesus, before he came, he sent one before him. It was John the Baptist to prepare the way for an encounter with Jesus. When someone walks through the door for the first time or the hundredth time, and they go grab a cup of coffee, they sip on some liquid revival there, and are about to come in <laughs> to the Holy of Holies and encounter Jesus. What? Liquid revival? Liquid revival? Yeah. Love it. You know, God is, we, I say this all the time, you know, God has called us to steward this, what we're doing. He's doing amazing things across the world. He's doing amazing things in other groups of churches, other denominations, in other countries, but he's called us to this uh, family this church this this community this pocket and we want to steward it well we want to do the best job that we can because when when we prepare the way for the lord he will come and he will come in mighty ways you know jesus said to to the 72 before he sent them out he sent them out to every place he was about to go that's what the bible says it said he sent them out to go ahead of him every place that he went. Even Jesus's earthly ministry, he sent little John the Baptist out ahead of him. You know what? There comes, when someone walks through this door the first time and one of our greeters just connects with, hands him a bulletin and says, hey, you know, welcome to City Light Church. They create an inroad for Jesus to connect with them. They meet a need. It might sound, when when someone hands them a coffee mug, you know, a free coffee mug, here, here's a free coffee mug, a first time visitor. You know what? They need to drink coffee. Makes you more spiritual. Okay, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Kind of, sort of. No, but what, what is this doing? It just seems like, oh, come on, George. We got to be like materialistic and, you know, and surfacy about this stuff. Giving people a coffee mug is really going to connect them with Jesus. You know what? It meets, it meets a need, and it breaks down barriers. And if giving someone a coffee mug is going to connect someone with Jesus, then by all means, I will be surfacy and materialistic, if that's what you call it. Last week we saw this picture on the screen, and if you guys weren't here last week, um, it was what it looked like for a single cell that was a, a, an actual human inside of a, a, a woman, woman's body, and that single cell began to multiply into two cells, into four cells, into eight cells, and so on and so on, and that single cell, that beginning cell, it was everything, And that's sort of like Sarah and I kind of feel like that, like at the beginning when God sort of birthed City Light Church, like we were the the original cell, right? We're nothing special. We just got here first, okay? (laughs) We were the original cell. And then God began to multiply us and multiply us. And then soon we were a cluster of cells and no one knew anything. We didn't know what we were doing. We, you know, we, we were just, you know, everyone just sort of was that body. There was no like eye, there was no hand, you know, we were just a clump of cells, you know. And as time went on, some of those cells were the cells that formed into hands. Some of those cells were, were the ones that formed into the, to the eyes and to the brain. Some of those cells were the feet. You know, I, th- I feel like like City Light Church, as, as we are growing and becoming the body of Christ, that all of us will have different giftings. And I've, I keep, you know, as someday I'll preach on the full giftings that we see in like First uh, Corinthians 12. I would love to, and I've had intentions of doing that. Everyone is uniquely fit and, and is meant to be a specific cell, but we don't all start out that way. There are places in our church right now and today is kind of the serving Sunday kick and we've got tables out there and as after I close the service in a few minutes, like people are going to be manning those tables and and you have an opportunity to serve in a body that God has put you. You have a place to be a John the Baptist to someone that is going to encounter Jesus maybe for the first time and maybe for the hundredth time. You know, and we talk about spiritual gifts. I, you know, sometimes people say, you know, I'm just, I'm just not gifted in that area, and that's fine. Here's the reality: um, we grow into giftings. Amen. Do you, do you know that? I actually like when I was born, like I wasn't a pastor. I don't know if you guys know that, but. <laughs> Like, I, I sort of grew into this gifting, okay? There's another gifting that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it talks about the gift of administration. This is, this is one that I've always said to people, I'm not an administrator. But over the past year, God has given me a spiritual gift. And if you know my wife, you will, and she knows me well, she will attest that that is not my strength. That has never been my strength. But God has given me over this last year something that's very supernatural. I'm not proficient at it. It's like someone handing someone a chainsaw. It's like, hey, I've got this gift. I may not be able to use it really well or effectively quite yet, but I'm working on getting there. Like God has given me this gift of administration. It's a supernatural gift. I did not have this gift 10 years ago. In fact, I wasn't in a position where I needed this gift 10 years ago. Sometimes the gifts of God meet the demands of the time. We grow into giftings just like we grow in this element of love. The point of me saying this is, guys, I if if you have to understand I believe that City Light Church, amongst lots of churches in this city, but but us specifically, we are called to reach a city. We are called to reach a region. We are called to to reach states, we are called to have influence among the nations. I, I'm not having delusions of grandeur. Trust me, that this is, this is not who I am naturally. I, in fact, if you know me well, I struggle even saying it because I can't even put my mind around it. But I believe in the most inner parts of me that God is commissioning us to do something great Amen. because he is a great God. And he's commissioning us to do this together. I believe that this year and I said it last week, I sort of announced us launching to double services. This is a huge thing for our church. This isn't something that we're just like, "Oh, cool, isn't this fun? Let's do double services." And you know, but I believe that these chairs are going to be filled. I believe that, that we're going to fill two services. I believe that we're going to grow and influence. I believe we're going to plant new churches. I believe we're going to plant churches in other cities. <laughs> It's not about building an empire of City Light Church. It's not, you know, building a, a name for, you know, George Williams Ministries. It has nothing to do with that. In fact, I could step down and put any one of you that are gifted and called in this place and feel fine with it if that's what God is calling us to do. Because I believe what God is calling us to do is big and it's huge and it takes all hands on deck. With that. I'm going to pray for us. Check out these. Um, s- we, we, you know, I want to make it easy for people to find spots to get plugged in. You might say, that's not my gifting. Well, great. Find something that's the closest match. Get plugged in, and you will grow into your gifting. And you know what? Those that serve will be noticed, right? The gift makes way for the giver, not the giver making way for his own gift. <laughs> find a place to serve. You want to be noticed, find the lowest, scrub toilets. Your gift will be noticed. See Kathy and the cleaning team. All right. Lord, thank you for the passion that's in this church, God. I thank you that, that when, when people walk in here for the first time, that they sense that there's something exciting about this place. And it's not us, but it's what we all bring in and carry with us, God. And that's a hunger for you, Jesus. I thank you that this commission, that you've not sent us by ourselves, but that we're going together, God, with you and us, that you've called us to great things, even though it boggles my mind and I can't fully wrap my head around it. I know that I know that I know that you've called us to, to reach people to reach lost people, to reach hungry people, to reach malnourished, spiritually malnourished people. Father, I know that you've called us to usher in elements of revival, if not full revival itself. God, and we realize that you've called us to be cells, parts of your body. Flourish in love. Lord, give us the the strength, the gifts that we need. Give us those things that we're called to do in and out of season to make your name great in this land. We just love you and we serve you in Jesus' name. Amen.